Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast brought to you by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and we've been working our way through Navigators Church Ministries track sessions from last year's forum. We've got Justin Gravett, and he's sharing his story with us about the path he walked on and the lessons that he learned as he began to shift the culture of an entire church towards disciple making. I found some really valuable nuggets of truth in this episode, especially some do's and don'ts about what to do when you first get your small group going. And he answers questions like, what happens when our church finally gets serious about making disciples? And where exactly are you supposed to start? So let's listen to Justin encourage us today about those topics. Enjoy the episode, everybody. All right, we're going to get started. So thank you for joining us. Again, this is the Building the Foundation of Disciple Making Culture track with the Navigators. If, yeah, I know, right? Who is, this is exciting. We are in part two of our track. Uh, we're going to be talking about OWN individually. That's the acronym of CORE. C stands for the, the common vision. And O stands for OWN individually. And um, I want to start by just sharing... Uh, a little bit about myself. First of all, my name is Dave Holmes. I'm a pastor. I'm not uh, with the Navigator staff in the sense I'm not on staff, but I feel a part of their family. They've kind of adopted me into it, which has been great. But I'm not on staff. I'm just a regular pastor like many of you. I have a church about 350 people. Um, you know, Sunday comes every seven days. I got to deal with a lot of stuff. And so this was, this was a this is my story of how we got going with, with disciple making. But um, I was here a couple years ago and just didn't wasn't part of anything. But I was sitting in a session and it was a very small room. Some of you were in small rooms yesterday. I was sitting in a small room and it was crowded. And behind me, above me, was a thermostat. And as soon as the speaker got going, he looked straight at me, made eye contact. And he said to me, Hey, you right here. I'm like, yeah? He said, I need you to kind of monitor the thermostat in the room today. The thermostat's broken. It doesn't work. You know, it's not an automatic thing. You're going to have to adjust it accordingly. If people get hot, you know, change it. And I, I need you. And so he kind of calls me out in front of the rest of the room, like, you're in charge of the thermostat. I'm like, okay, I got it. So from then on, I was basically game on, looking around. Who's taking their coat off? Who's putting their coat on? At, during the breakout times when we had a little chance to talk, I was asking people, are you, are you okay comfortably? Like, are you, are you cold? Are you, are you, how are you feeling? In other words, I owned the thermostat in that room for the rest of the session. I couldn't even tell you what the speaker talked on. I don't remember any of that part of it. For the rest of the period, I was just owning the thermostat, right? And so this is what I want to ask you guys. In your tables, this is a way to get going here. I want you to... First of all, introduce yourselves to each other if you haven't already. But here's a game we're going to play, and we're going to give away a real prize. We don't give away fake prizes here. We're going to give a real prize away. And I want you to come up with as many reasons as you can for me to own that thermostat in that room that day. I want you to come up with as many reasons as possible. Okay? I'm going to give you two minutes. And then we'll go and see who's the winning table. Okay? Great? All right. Five, four, three, two, one. How many have more than ten? You got fourteen. Thirteen. That's fantastic. You want to share them real quick? There's kids' names. Oh, my goodness. To look good, to please people, to have success, to help the speaker, to help the attender, to provide comfort for the room, to show off, to shepherd people, to help others focus, to be important, to be needed or wanted, to have some sort of accomplishment, to model cooperation, or to make a difference. Wow. That's a great workbook. That's called The Ways of a Long Sider. That really helps us with our core team get started. Um, I also want to introduce, before I get going as well, Justin Gravitt. I'm going to be referencing him. You guys can give him a hand. Round of applause. Justin, Justin, Justin. 
He's on staff with Navigators Church Ministry. He led last session, and he's been a super help to me. So if I say Justin in my story, which I will say quite a bit, this is the Justin I'm referring to. So he'll he'll pipe in every time I get off track and, <laughs> and help me pick it back on. But but here's the question that we're going to ask this morning: How in the world do you get people to own disciple making? Right? How do you get people to own disciple making? And that is uh, a challenge for all of us who are really trying to change our churches to help create a culture of disciple makers, disciple making in our churches. And so if you were not here last session yesterday, we showed you this kind of big picture diagram of what we call the three circles or the GIDC. Um, basically, what we're going to be talking about is how to develop a core team that you end up you, you pull out and then you send back into your church as a way to help create a church culture. Uh, just let you guys know, and, and this whole thing, this, we're, we're about year seven, uh, starting with working with Justin, and we are in this phase right here, and we'll talk maybe at that a little bit at the end, but this is what I want to talk about this morning as far as how to develop, uh, how do we develop the core team at our church. So I'm just going to share our story, and the, the story begins with Act 1, and Act 1 is titled, What in the World is a Navigator? I had no idea. I grew up going to church. I had no idea what the navigators were, what they did. I saw a little ship and a sail as an emblem. I didn't know if they were sailors. I had no clue what a navigator was. But the story begins when Justin just came into our church on a Sunday morning, and I didn't even get a chance to meet him on that Sunday morning, but he met my executive pastor. He introduced himself. They ended up going out for lunch. My executive pastor said, we need to have a meeting with Justin. I think he may have something up for us, you know, to offer us. And so uh, eventually we sat down in our office. It was Justin, myself, and the executive pastor. And the meeting... Um, didn't really go so well at the beginning. It was not a great meeting. Uh, Justin kind of came in. We said guns a-blazing last year, I think, when we said this, right? Guns a-blazing. He was, he was kind of showboating how much scripture memory he had memorized. <laughs> at least that's how I took it. Right? I, I have a different version of this, these events, but that's okay. Yeah, he's yeah. a workshop leader. I'm, I'm so telling the story here, right? Uh, yeah. So from my perspective, he would come in, and he's like, you know, Isaiah 28, 30, 35. You know, and we're like, I don't know what to ask. <laughs> well, let me quote it to you. And then he would quote the verse. And then he would do that over and over again. I'm like, are you coming in kind of showboating in my church? You know, like, and, and, uh, and so I kind of pushed back on that. And so we kind of, it, it didn't go really well. No. 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 Yeah, and you were doing some stuff that I, I was. I was being a jerk too, and it just so yeah, it didn't go well for whatever the reason was. But what I appreciated was our next meeting at Panera. He sat down and said, "Listen, we, we need to work this out a little bit." And you were kind of being a jerk, and and, uh, and I said, "I I own that." And I said, "Well, you were kind of being a jerk, and he owned that." And so we worked through all that up front. And so we haven't had a fight since. No, no. So we got the fighting out of the way. But I tell you that is because, you know, when, listen, a navigator, to me, this is my promo for, for the navigators here, uh, because they paid my way down here. But let me tell you this. I will tell you this even if they didn't pay for anything. What he was offering to me was a no-brainer. A no-brainer. What he was saying is, I'm going to come in for free. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not asking you for any money, anything like that. I'm going to come in. I'm going to help you. Learn the art of disciple-making, and I'm going to help you help the church become a disciple-making church. And I said, why would I not at least try that? And what I come to discover later is I did not just get a, a, a long life, lifetime friend. I got a friend out of this. But I got a guy who was like a part-time staff member, a life coach, a ministry coach, a counselor, a peacemaker between staff at times. I mean, he has been such an asset to me. And this is what the navigators can bring in. It's just, oh my gosh, why would you not try? And it's free. And if it doesn't work, okay, just say it's not working. But why would you not at least try? These guys are here to serve the church. They're not asking for anything. Of course, later on, we began to, to support Justin because it's like, well, you've been such a help to us. Why wouldn't we want to help you back? But uh, it's been awesome. Appreciate that. It's been a blessing for me, too. Just to clarify, when I'm working with a local church, it's free. It is not free all the time, every place, but it is never driven by money. 
And so if money is the issue, we will work around that so it's not the issue. But if you have a local navigator who's willing to jump in, yeah. by all means. So he came in, he kind of made his pitch. Uh, we signed the agreement for a three-year agreement to work with the navigators and developing what those three circles were and to get started. So what the process was, was he was going to meet with us as a staff uh, every other week. And then on the off weeks, he would meet with me personally as a way to develop trust and vision and a heart for disciple making. Show me the art of disciple making. And so we did that for about six months. Um, now, one of the things that happened, and this is one of the mistakes that we made, and I'm, I want to share all the mistakes I can with you guys today as, uh, as learning lessons, um, but pretty quickly into our meeting with the staff, one of our staff members decided this was not for him, and he bowed out. Now, looking back, I, I understand why he made that decision on some levels, but I really wish I would have pushed him harder to stay in to this whole thing. Because even today, he is not in any way prohibiting us from doing what we're doing. And he's he's, he celebrates every win we have with disciple making. But he's not doing it personally. And there are people in the church from time to time and say, well, if we are a disciple making church trying to create a culture, then why isn't so and so making disciples too? And I don't have a great answer for that other than he just chose not to do it. And so one of the lessons that I learned is um, this, that, that ownership starts with leadership. Ownership, if you really want ownership in your church, people owning the mission and the vision, really try as hard as you can to get the leadership on board. Because people are going to look and say, well, if this is really a high priority, then, then the leadership all needs to be on board too. And so that was a mistake. I should have pushed harder, and I didn't. Um, but we kept moving. And so Justin would work with us, and eventually it got to the point where I was discipling somebody, and he said, okay, now we need to start developing a core team, which is Act 2. What's a core team? That was my question. Like, what do you mean by core team? And um, he, he kind of painted a picture for me, and it was kind of vague in the sense for me because I just had not experienced it. I, you know, as much as he tried to paint a picture, I just didn't really understand exactly what, what we were asking people to do. Uh, this was all new to me, but the core team was uh, a group of people that were going to be committing themselves to a year and a half process of helping them, one, learn the arts and they'll have a heart and the vision and skill of disciple-making themselves, but then also be a team to help change the culture of our church. And so over a year and a half, that was going to be the goal with these people. But the question that I, I bumped into immediately when we started talking about having a core team is, who's going to be on my team? What kind of people do I need to be on my team? Do I choose younger people? Because younger people are naturally more energetic, they're naturally in the sense more relational, they tend to be more teachable. Do I, do I go for the younger folks in our church? Do I go for the older folks in our church? Because older folks have more life experience, they have more wisdom, hopefully they have more Bible knowledge, and they can have more to pour into the next generation. Do I go for uh, extroverts? who are very people-oriented. They don't mind asking people to join them into a disciple-making relationship. They're naturally comfortable with you know, being in groups and things of that nature. Do I go for introverts who are better at one-on-one -on -one and more just real personal and getting deeper? Do I go for singles? Do I go for married couples? Do I have both couples in a group, you know, both married couples inside one group together, one team? You know? And so I was just kind of wrestling with who do I pick? That's the big question. Who do I choose to be the core team? Because this is going to be my team that's going to hopefully change the church. And so that was one question. The other question was how many do I pick? How many do I pick? Um, and so this is the question I want you guys to wrestle with at the table. I'm going to give you just a couple minutes and I want you to try to for yourselves just think about who would I pick to bake, start off a core team, and how many people would I choose? Okay? So I'm gonna give you two minutes to come up with your answers, and then we'll popcorn those answers when we're done. Okay? Go ahead. Alright, guys, if we can bring it back this way, I would love to hear some of your responses, your answers to who would you pick to be a part of your core team? What kind of qualities, characteristics? 
age group demographics you would want to target for your core team. So just go ahead, popcorn. Fat and hungry. Fat meaning faithful, available, teachable, and hungry meaning they need to eat, right? Uh, no, they're hungry. They are, they are hungry. Yeah, there's fat, there's faith, faithful, available, initiative, initiators, teachable, and humble, or heart. Yeah, so there's different acronyms, but yeah, those are good qualities. What else? Dr. Bellas mentioned men um, because they're already leading to the family for men who are Yeah. So choosing all men? Are you saying all men because they're the leaders of the family? Yes. Yeah, okay. All men because they're leaders of the family. Okay, good. What else? People that already have a leadership role in your church so that people can see them and say that your leadership is bought into it. Yeah, people who are already leading. Now, what's one of the problems with people who are already leading everything? Busy, 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 right? And this is one of the things that I, I made a pitch them to for those who I asked. I said, listen, this takes the highest priority of all of your ministry time and church time. This has to come first. And because it was the senior pastor saying that, um, it was helpful because they would have to go to the other, other ministry leaders and say, I have to bow out for a season. And because it was coming from me, it, it worked a lot better. If I know some of you who are maybe in the disciple makers, like discipleship role, if it came from you, that, that would maybe add a lot more conflict. But they knew, the staff knew this is what I was going to do, and so that made it easier. But highest priority for sure. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't mean to disagree with you, but um, I think you need some women on the team too, because who are going to disciple the women? Right. Men disciple women, this doesn't work. Okay, yep, so you would have men and women. For sure. I understand. That's right. Yep. I mentioned also people who say have influence Yeah, your influencers, right? Yeah, people may not necessarily be staff or leaders, but right. you see the yep. people this and their voice. Yep. People who have high influence. Yep, very good. Yeah. Yeah, so somebody who's already had a little history with discipleship, disciple-making, someone who's had a little bit of a track record with that, heart for it, passion for it. Yep, yep. If you can find those, for sure. That's great. People that have proven to be vulnerable. Yeah, people who are being willing to be open and vulnerable with others, for sure. Yep. Yeah. We didn't talk about this at our table, but like we're in the Northwest Seattle area. Yep. you got to be like normal and like disarming so uh -huh. not overly churchy yeah you're right yeah like godly and faithful but like a normal person no, no weirdos on the team yeah. is what you're saying no weirdos right people who can relate with other people relatable people yeah, yeah. yes for sure yeah for sure right good yeah, so I'm hoping you guys are thinking about that because that it will be a question for you guys to have to answer. And what was the other question? Was the how many do you have? What was what was some answers to that? How many would you have on a core team? Three, seven, or twelve. Three, seven, or twelve. Those seem like very biblical answers. You cannot argue with any of those. Trinity, perfection, the 12. I mean, you can't go wrong with any of that. We would also accept the answer Jesus, just because... I know he's not a number, but he's the perfect name and answer for everything, right? So, thank you. 3, 7, or 12. Does it? Okay. So, he's saying it depends on the size of your church. Okay. All right. You would want an odd amount because of tiebreakers. So we're taking votes at our core team. All right, I didn't know this was going to be a democracy, but we're going to go a democracy route the core team. Odd number for a tiebreaker. I like it. Playing off that idea, uh, there's a lot of decisions that are made and culture changes. And too many people are, you can't have a large decision body. Okay. Even though there's influence, maybe on multiple concentric circles of, yes. of influence on this culture, yes. there should be a decision body that's smaller than a congregation. Okay, so in Final Jeopardy, that's still not a number. What's your number? <laughs> Let's go with uh, 15 or under. 15 or under, Alex. We're going 15 or under. All right, that's 
That's good. Okay. My number's 10, but I have a question. You said something yesterday about, so if you're building a team and a core, is there danger in allowing new people to come in during that year and a year and a half process? Yes. Because it's going to change the dynamic. Definitely. Is yes. It is an issue. And so once you establish your core team, my suggestion would be do not add anybody during that year. Okay. Even if someone falls off, that's okay. Do not change the dynamics of that team anymore. Protect the integrity of that team. We do that with our life groups, by the way. We don't just let anybody just jump in every week. You know that would just change the dynamics. Yes. Um, larger churches, maybe multiple campuses. Yes. Is it possible to have more than one core team? Yes. Yes, for sure. With each campus. Yeah, you're, you're dealing with each campus that way. Yep. Yep. Good. So these are the questions that I had to wrestle with. And so to me, I'm not Jesus, so I couldn't go 12. I had to go under 12. But I am a go-getter, and I really wanted to get this thing going, so I started with 10. With 10. And I chose, I tried to balance this out. I tried five men. Five women, I try to do you know, five extroverts, five introvert, introverts. I had singles, I had married couples. I, uh, by the way, I have not had much success, this is just a freebie, I have not had much success having couples on the core team together and it really working out. Now I will tell a little bit of a different version for my third edition that we're gonna talk about in a second, but the first two that I have core teams, um, I did not, one was a go-getter, the other one just came because the spouse and it just didn't really work out. So don't feel like you have to do the couple route because it oftentimes it doesn't work out. At least in my context it did not. So, so I tried to do what a healthy cross-section of our church as best as I could. A healthy cross-section of men, women, you know, ethnicity, all those kind of things. I was trying to, to do that. And so we did this for a year. And I tried to do my best leading this core team of never having led a core team, just started disciple making. And on top of that, I had twins. My wife and I had twins during this time. So there's my wife, I'm pointing to her, but she had the twins. I just watched. I said, go back. And videotape the whole thing. It's awesome. And, uh, and so I was, I was just maxed out emotionally, you know, time-wise. It was really rough that first go-around. So Justin actually stepped in a lot, which was very helpful. He stepped in a lot uh, to do that. Uh, but here's what I ended up, ha what happened after those, that year. After a year or so, I had, out of the ten, I had four people going with me as far as discipling somebody, just four people. I didn't do real, really well in school, but I knew four out of ten, that's, that's bad, that's like an F, that's failing. Batting average, that's not so bad, right? Just depends on your context, right? And so I was pretty down about that. Four out of ten, that didn't sound so good to me, but four people were, were discipling somebody else by the end of it. So I learned some things along the way. And one of the things that I failed at miserably during this, this year of working with the core team was that I did not invest myself relationally into this team like I needed to. We had our meeting times, but I did not in, in, you know, intentionally invest individually in each person along the way. And I'll tell you, that was a giant mistake. I'm still paying for that mistake with my first addition, my first core team, because they never saw a relational model. They only saw the, the team model. And so when they began meeting with people, they were on the intentional side of things. They had the, the tools and the, and, the, and the content, but they did not have the relational heart piece that went along with it. And I'm still paying for that because they still just, it's very hard for them to get that relational with people. So my advice is, when you're thinking about numbers, you need to invest in each person relationally as well. How much time do you have to invest in 15, 20 people relationally? If you can do it, great. But if, you know, like 10 was too many for me to do. And so that's the learning lesson that I learned. Connect with your people outside the group and intention with intentionality and regularity. I did not do that. And like I said, I'm still paying for that. So, um, 
we were done with, with our core team 1.0. It, it didn't go as well as I thought. Uh, some people were discipling and that was great, but it was like, now what do we do? Well, if at first you don't succeed, try again. Try, try again. So that's what we did. Now here was the good part of the first core team. I had a youth pastor that was part of that core team that was discipling. He took the discipleship content and the culture and everything that we were trying to do with the core team and he pushed it into the youth group and it caught like wildfire. And it was awesome. And you can imagine why, because youth are younger, they're teachable, they're relational, they're hungry for someone to invest in them, and it was awesome. So that was a win on the youth group front, but my adults, not so much, right? But that was great. So I decided we're going to try this again. So I said to myself, well, I, I really want to get this going. I was four out of ten last time, so I'll try ten more and do this. And my, my introverts really failed me on my first group. Nothing against introverts. I'm more of an introvert, introvert at times, but uh, the, the socially awkward people did not do it at all. They just, they just kind of dropped out. So I'm like, I'm not picking those people again. So I kind of went all extroverts this time, right? And just tried that approach. And this is a learning lesson, guys. I'm just trying. You know, I'm, you know what's, what's gonna work? So we did this again. And you would think I would have learned my lesson. What was my lesson first time around? Be relational, invest in them, spend time with them. Do you think I learned that lesson? No, because I'm a senior pastor. I got a church. I got a family of four boys now. I got you know all these things going on, and I failed again on doing that. I did not learn my lesson. So if you can hear anything this morning, you need to walk with your people every step of the way through this. I did not do that. And so after another year of this, I got another three or four people who were discipling. And so now I had four people from the first group, I had three or four from the second group, and I was really kind of frustrated. I was discouraged. Uh, but Justin reminded me, and this is the lesson, one of the things I learned is don't get discouraged, right? One is better than none. I had now seven people in my church discipling others, where I had zero when we all started. And it seemed like I was putting so much time and work, these are a couple years now of investment, and, it, and I was like, oh my goodness, but one is better than none, and seven is certainly better than none. And so I was encouraged on that end of things. So what happened was, we were like, okay, we got seven individuals doing this, but, but we still don't have a team. We don't have a team. And so we decided we were going to start a third round of core team, but take the people who are already discipling and make them a team. And the great part about all that was I didn't have to train them to be disciple makers. They were already disciple making now themselves. What I could really focus on was the team aspect. And that was hard for me. Again, this was one of the lessons that I learned. I'm, a, I'm an individualist at heart. Uh, I'm a golfer. And so I, I was part of a golf team in high school. But the golf team was you rode the bus with the team. Then you go played your own game, and you got on the bus, and you talked about your own score, and then you went home, and, and that was it, right? And so how many of us as senior pastors feel that way? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my own game here. It's all on me, and, and I didn't really understand team. And so Justin really helped me understand the power of team and what team can bring in, and you can do so much more with team. So I grabbed these seven guys and gals and a couple others who I knew were discipling, and we finally got a core team, a core team. All right, and so this was our team at the start of things. This is just a picture of these are just normal, average, everyday people. Um, actually, this was just this is this was this is Justin's dad, uh, Jeff Gravitt, and he's rocking it on our team, and he's just taking fire. And this is awesome as far as his heart for disciple making. But this was just a hodgepodge of core team one and two put together. And we've, we've seen one person move away, we've added a couple others, we actually added a couple, and they're doing well as a couple, uh, as part of the team, but uh, this, this was our, our original crew. And so we began to get together. And if you were here yesterday, we played a silly card game at the, at the front, just to show that without rules and without you know, understanding the, the boundaries of a game, it's going to be chaos. And so we needed to establish rules for our core team. So that's the next thing we, we set out to do. And we had agreed upon rules of what does it mean to be a part of the core team. So here's some of the agreements that we made. We said we commit to making our monthly team meetings the second and fourth Sundays of each month a high priority. 
a high priority, which means we will come, when come, we will come prepared and be on time, and if we cannot attend, we will let the team know. This was not let Pastor Dave know I can't make it. I'm going to email the whole team because we are a team, and I'm going to have to explain to the whole team why I'm bailing on the team this weekend as, you know, what's, what's more important than that. So they needed to let everybody know in advance why they were unable to make it for the purpose of accountability. Second team agreement, we commit for the sake of relational depth and team effectiveness to make our team meetings safe and encouraging environment where vulnerability, transparency, accountability, and confidentiality are fostered. We commit to modeling and promoting Jesus-style disciple-making, especially for those in our church. We commit to applying the principles discussed at our meetings, as well as connecting with other team members outside our meeting times for the sake of encouragement and accountability. We wanted our team members to think and act like a team, and it just didn't mean that we, we, we would only talk about disciple-making when we got together at our meetings. We would meet and talk about disciple-making outside, and we would invite others into those conversations. And this began to be the yeast that worked through the rest of the dough of our church. And so that was a few years ago that we got started with this, and it's been fantastic. Uh, our mission, our goal, we put together was to propel ordinary church attenders. That's part of our vision statement language. Ordinary church attenders to be impassioned Jesus-style disciple makers, leading by example and providing support to create a lasting disciple-making culture. And so what our team has done is we have moved in back into the church and we've been talking about disciple making in our life groups with kids ministries. Uh, we we uh, put together a website, uh, part of our website, a lot of pages. If you go to centerbillrace.org slash DM, this was a lot of stuff they created, content. They made videos for us, testimonial videos, um, you know, putting skills and tools on the webpage for people to, to take a look at. So they are investing themselves into how do we help other people get on board. Uh, now the cool part with our team is that not only are they making disciples themselves and helping create a culture of disciple making in our church, now they are acting as coaches for new disciple makers in our church. And so now they're overseeing other disciple relationships and they're reporting back to me, and we're keeping this big old tree of all the generations that we're beginning to see take place in our church. And so they have been incredibly helpful. They have helped me, what I could not have done myself, the team could do together. And it's been fantastic. And so we're praying, and as I said, we are moving the team now, those three circles, we put them back into the church culture, and there were, and, uh, well, let me just say this. When it comes to the church culture, the imagery that I've kind of shared with our church is, anybody have an above-ground pool growing up? Right? I love the above-ground pool because you can do something in an above-ground pool you could not do in a regular pool. A regular pool is not usually a full circle. Above-ground pools are a circle. And in the summertime, if you get enough people running around in the pool at the same time, what would happen? You create like a whirlpool, a giant current. So you could actually lift your feet up and you could go gliding around for a while. You could not do that by yourself. You need a lot of people running the same direction to do that. And so the imagery is we want to create a current or a culture where, where people, when they come in, are actually fighting against getting swept into disciple making, right? They, they would have to like fight against it. If, if they just did nothing, they would be swept into disciple making. They could just lift their feet up and be moved towards a disciple making relationship. And that's what my core team is helping me do. They're helping me run in the same direction, creating that current. And so now, because we have that current going, we have like over 50 people in a disciple making relationship in our, inside our church. Now I'm taking the core team and we're talking about moving into that third circle as far as our community and our neighborhoods and our workplaces. They're going to be the tip of our spear of helping our people see what it's like to move into a neighborhood and reach their neighbors and what they did and what tools they used and how effective they were as a model for our rest of our church come spring or summer next year. So they are incredibly helpful. I could not do this without the core team. So here's my lesson that I learned with the core team is this. Give them, give, give them decision-making power. Give them decision-making power. Why? Because your decision-makers need to be your disciple-makers. If you're really going to change the church, 
If you're going to change the culture in every area of your church, your decision makers need to be your disciple makers. They need to have the heart, vision, skill of what it means to be a disciple maker themselves, right? And the passion for it. Um, here's, the, here's the awesome part with the other part of the core team. I say it this way. I have, I have people in rooms now changing the temperature for disciple making without me. They are being the thermostats in, like I said, life groups and kids' ministries and Awana and you know, men's ministry, you name it, women's ministry, they are in the rooms where I'm not, but they are changing the temperature now in the room without me. And that is invaluable, right? Invaluable. So you need a team, and you need to invest in the team. I asked the team, at what point did you actually feel like you owned the mission, the vision of disciple-making? And they took some time to think about it, but the kind of the general consensus was, it really wasn't until we started making disciples ourselves and saw the fruit of making disciple makers and saw some success did we really own it. And I tell you that to simply say that took a while for them to get there. And what we need to do as leaders trying to, trying to encourage all this is we need to walk with our people every step of the way until they get there and, and even more beyond that. But don't give up on them. Be intentional, be relational, invest, 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 because it pays off in the end. Guys, we are not playing the short game here. This is a long game, right? This, this is a core team's like a year in the making. Doing three of them has been three, seven, you know, three, seven, twelve years in the making. Uh, but it's been it's been an awesome ride. It's been an awesome journey. And so let me encourage you to just keep on going. Help them until they have success. Don't give up on them. And so I wanted to open up the last part of this for Q&A, because I know you may have some questions. I'll try my best to answer, and I always refer to Justin as the expert in the room if, if you need extra help. So I wanted to ask in terms of while staff may not be on your board, what in terms of accountability in terms of discipleship that you have in place for Yep. And I ask that because um, I think people typically follow the model or follow the... Follow leadership. Owner starts with leadership, right? Yeah. So encouraging your, your staff, encouraging your elders. Um, our elders went through, the, the um, at least some of most of them did, went through either core team one or core team two. So they... They got exposed to it, but because of their schedules and priorities, they decided not always to, to dive in deeply. Again, they're not against it. They're just not being the ones to push it. But yes, the, the more you can get your elders, the more you can get your staff to model this, to be out in front with this, the better it will be for sure. So the, the question was, what sort of accountability do you have for staff in disciple making? Um, so you heard that answer. There's another church I just started to work with. The pastor came in. He's a new pastor, and one of the first meetings, he said to the entire staff, you all need to be discipling someone, one-to-one or one-on-two. If you're not willing to do that, then you will not be a fit in this place because this is a relational ministry. And if you're not willing to be relational with people, then it's just not going to work out here. And I was super impressed by that. That's the first time I'd ever heard a pastor doing that, especially early on, um, just setting that tone and that temperature in the room of, hey, we're going to be disciple makers here. And I care about you, but if you're not on the page of loving people relationally, then you're probably not on a disciple making page. And that's not going to work out here. So. I, I have to say to it, and I'm asking it because you just told me I have to say to some of our staff who you are is more important than what you do. And so if you're not a growing disciple, you're not interested that's more important to me. I can find somebody else who can sing the song, play the instrument. I need to know you grow and your family, you know, is being ministered to you. Know. Yeah, the change that we're trying to make in our church is identity. Like, who are you? You are a disciple of Jesus first. And what does disciple do? Disciple makes other disciples, right? So that's, that's what we're trying to get. Yep. You said that the leaders need to own it. Would they not be your first pick on your core team? Because it seemed like 
the ones you were picking were not your church leaders. I'm trying to yep. balance yep. all that. So out. I live in the real world, right? Like yeah. you do. Yeah. So the, the question is, do you go after your leaders first? Do you go after your elders first and your staff first to be on your core team? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. You should go after them first. Realistically, they may not all say yes. Right? Now you could you could try to make them do that and yeah. That's the tension that you have to, you know, that's up to you. But um, I asked people who I thought would would be great, um, and they said, I'm too busy. I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm, I just don't have time. And what was it. your specific ask when you met with them? I assume you met with them individually. You prayed about it, met with them yeah. individually. Definitely what prayed about you, it. What definitely did you approach through. them with? Here's another mistake I made, and, and Justin corrected me on this one, thankfully. I, I had emailed people this. Don't email Don't people. Email. Don't email the invitation. Don't this is email relational. the invitation. This is, how, this is how just bad I was at the beginning. Okay? I was like, hey, you know, the pitch was this is going to be a, a high commitment, year-long process of us helping you develop a heart, vision, skill of disciple making so that we can change the culture of our church. We need you to make this the highest priority. If you have to say no to other things, that's okay. We can cover other things, but we want you to be a part of this. But I emailed do not even. Um, so I would add this. So typically with invitations, we want a personal invitation first. If there's an email coming behind it, that's okay, right? So the email is not the problem. It's the priority or the ordering of it that's the problem. The other question that we're kind of dancing around here is what? how do we balance a core team, leaders, and everyday folks, right? You want your leaders on board, but if you have a core team of only leaders, your everyday people are not coming along. Yeah. They're not because they cannot see themselves as those people. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about a core team, you need to think about a cross-section of your church. Men, women, leaders, everyday people, educated people, not as, not as educated. You want that cross-section because you are building, I think of it as a micro-culture of your church. What you want it to be, you're building that micro-culture at the core team level. And they are going to bring that culture that they have into the bigger, broader church culture. Yep. And we did not announce this to everybody. We didn't keep it a secret, but we didn't like say, anybody want to be a part of the core team? Just email Pastor Dave. Uh, we didn't do that. We handpicked, prayed about it, thought through it intentionally. Yeah. What material do you use to train your core team? Yes, great question. So the handbook... Can you repeat that question? Yeah, so the question is, what material do you use to train up your core team? That handbook, a ways of a long, The Ways of a Long Sider, is used at the very beginning to develop a heart for disciple-making and maybe some vision for disciple-making. But once we go through that workbook, we don't like throw it away, throw it away, but we say, you know what, we want to be able to train you to sit down with somebody, open up your Bible and be able to disciple somebody without a curriculum, without a program, just you and a Bible and just hearing from God and working through that. And we'd love to give tools out to help you do that with your Bible. But after the workbook, there is no more curriculum. We just give tools. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what Dave's Church has done. Different churches choose differently on that, even within the Navigators Church Ministries. Um, what we emphasize is there's nothing wrong with using curriculum if it's a step in the process. We don't want it to be the only thing they ever learn how to do because then we tend to make disciples of curriculum rather than disciples of Jesus. And with disciple makers, we want them to become something, not just to know something, right? And so curriculum can get us helpful. They can be helpful, right? Training wheels in some ways of, okay, we kind of see what this is like and we feel what it's like. But what Dave's talking about is we want them to be able to do it out of who they are and the gifting of who they are so that they are discipling in a way that, that fits them but also fits the person that's across from them and the things that they're bringing to the table. He says it way better than I do. So yes. <laughs> As you guys encourage, I mean, maybe you didn't run into this, but people that thought this process was, was taking way too long. Like they're eager, they're excited. How do you cast vision and keep people to kind of pump the brakes with the long game? So just setting expectations up front as, as best as you can. This is a long game. This isn't going to you know be overnight kind of thing. What we found, people, you you talk about it for so long as far as helping them develop a heart, vision, skill for it, and then it's finally kicked them out of the nest to go find somebody to disciple, and they're like, oh, I'm not ready. 
you know, kind of thing. For most of them, they weren't gung-ho to jump into this. This is like, I don't know who to pick, and I don't know how to ask, and you know. So we didn't have the pump the brakes, at least for ours. It was keep pushing them, keep, you know. And But don't give up either. Again, that was the, the long game. Don't be discouraged when something doesn't go, because oftentimes the first person they, they chose to disciple didn't go so great, right? My bad, batting average four out of ten with the with the group. Some people's batting average of just discipling one on one is going to be one for three, one for four as well. And so, just helping them understand it up front. Don't give up on this. This is some, who you are. Going back to their identity. This is something we're going to do for the rest of our lives. So, if it doesn't work out the first time, don't think you're a failure and you're never going to do it again. Just just keep on trying. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yeah. So you didn't recruit introverts for your second core team? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pick the, the, the more socially awkward introverts that I knew, you know, kind of thing. I had chosen a couple socially, less socially, you know, EQ. And those people without social skills be disciple makers? Yes. I think anybody can be a disciple maker. Given enough time and, and intentionality of pouring into them, investing them, I think anybody can do this. What you're kind of looking for at the beginning is more low-hanging fruit for people who you don't have to invest years into it as much as maybe weeks and months into it because they already have those skills and, and you know emotional health and all those things. But Justin was going to say something. No, I was going to repeat the question. That's all. Oh, and the question. The, well, you go ahead. So the question was: Can introverts become disciple makers? Can socially awkward people become that? Uh, that was me uh, recovering from all that stuff about 15, 20 years ago. Um, so yes, and I have a real heart for that because that's who I am deep down. Uh, I had to learn social skills like people learn math. So yeah, there's a lot of us like that in the world. This was, this was um, and you can feel free to push back, but what I've come to believe is anybody can become a disciple. And we are doing a disservice to people who, who work in the tech booth and who do greeting or who serve coffee to say, that's your skill set and your spiritual gift to service and you don't need to do disciple making. I really believe the bar for everybody should be your disciple who goes and makes disciples because they are in spheres of influences that I cannot be. Even the socially awkward who go to Comic-Con or you know the whatever places they go to. And, I don't, I'm just pitching holy social. Not that everybody that goes to Comic Con has. I know. <laughs> I know. A caveat for I us today. Digging myself a hole here. You know, hopefully, I hear my heart. Anybody can be a disciple maker. Anybody can be a disciple maker. Because they are in spheres of influence that other people cannot, and God uses them as well. So, yeah. Maybe um, ask this question. Just like people that are gung ho and excited. So yes, you celebrate so you the don't wins. Have to wait for a yep. Exactly, right. The question or the addition is, you know, what can you do to help keep the, the ball going and celebrate things along the way and, and, and hit milestones? Yes, we did that as, as a core team, right? When we you know we emphasize memory uh, scripture memorization, that was one of the things. And so we would spend time as a core team working through the scripture memory. And it's cool, after after a couple months of this, they had you know, 10, 20 verses memorized that we would go through. And it's like, can we just stop here? I mean, a couple months from now, you didn't have any of these scriptures memorized. Now, look at us. We are quoting scripture like it's just coming out of our of our hearts. And it's like, it's pretty awesome. So, yeah, anytime you can celebrate a milestone like that, do so. That'll be encouraging. Yeah, so there's nothing wrong with long. There's nothing wrong with a long process. The problem is ineffective process, right? So when people can see progress... Nobody's complaining that it's taken a long time because they feel movement and they feel we're moving forward and we're getting closer to the goal that we're trying to get to. There's nothing wrong with long if it's effective. And so that's what I've seen over and over again in churches. Now, at the front conversation, if you're starting to say, hey, this is going to be 10 years, and well, that can be a problem, right? Because that's not typical and there's other ways that we can do it more quickly. But if you say, hey, this is a three-year process, which that three-circle illustration is a three- to five-year process, when we start talking about that, we say, well, listen, you're going to see movement really early on, and you're going to be really excited to continue on it. Nobody, I have not had a church pull out of our three-year process when things have gone well. Never once has it even been a thought, because they're just so excited about what's happening. 
And so now we're doing every, at least once or maybe twice a year, we're doing a disciple-making celebration where we're pulling all of that family tree in for a dinner and lunch, and we're just celebrating what God is doing. And that keeps the energy and that keeps the motivation going as well. So, yeah. yeah. I was just going to ask, what, if, what are you doing in terms of maybe teaching series, sermon series? Yeah, great question. So, yeah, we try to do sermon series in, uh, throughout the year on disciple-making. Uh, we also do what we call disciple-making moments, where we're bringing up discipleship relationships on stage, and they get to share how they got connected and how it's going and you know, the challenges and the, the joys and the things to celebrate. So we put stuff on our walls. We have a, a, you know, a giant wall that it was blank for a long time because we were in a new edition, and so I had uh, We Make Disciple Makers put up on there, like 40-foot you know, kind of thing. Like That's out in front. That that's what we do. We make disciple makers. And so anytime we can get it out in front of people, we try to do that for sure. Um, really appreciate you guys. Can I pray for you all before we leave? God, thanks so much for this time. Thank you that um, you have given what I believe a call to everybody to not just be a disciple, but to make disciples. And as church leaders, we want to create cultures in our churches that, that reflect a heart for that, uh, your heart for reaching the nations. And God, I just pray for these leaders right now, and I pray for our church as well, that you continue just, just to move in, in incredible ways through the hearts of our people. Help them develop a heart and vision and skill for disciple-making. Help them to see just their purpose on earth after becoming a Jesus follower is not just simply to know more things about the Bible but to invest intentionally and relationally into people. And it's so much fun to watch, and it's so much fun to be a part of, because we see the kingdom growing, we see marriages restored, we see lives changed. Thank you so much that you allow us to be a part of that. And I just pray a special blessing on these leaders right now as they go back and begin to cast vision and talk with other staff members and begin building a core team themselves. I just pray, Lord, that you would just be with them every step of the way, giving them wisdom and guidance and counsel, um, giving them courage to, to speak the truth and love in love in a way that just encourages hearts and, and gives people the confidence they need to step out and to trust that this is where you're taking them, to be a disciple maker. God, thank you so much. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. We've got two more episodes from Navigators Church Ministries, and then we are done with all track sessions from last year's forum, which is actually perfect because right now, as you're listening to this episode, the 2023 National Disciple Making Forum is happening in Indianapolis. There's going to be awesome speakers, incredible breakout and track sessions happening up there. And we will begin working our way through that material next. So thanks so much for sticking with me through all of the track sessions from last year. And I look forward to diving into the new track sessions from this current forum. If you haven't already, please click the subscribe button to this channel so that you can stay up to date every time we release episodes. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you.